morning. Happy Easter. Happy Resurrection Sunday. My name is Derek. I'm one of the pastors here, uh, and it is just a joy to worship together. You know, I, I was thinking as I was sitting there worshiping and standing there worshiping, and this band uh, and the choir was just amazing. Do you know God is here with us? God enjoys our worship. When our hearts are really praising Him, he, uh, he is smiling. He is responding. The Holy Spirit is here and wants to, to touch you, wants to reach you, wants to connect with you, wants to just enjoy your praise and worship. And so when we are here, not because of a building, but because we are with God's people, God is here and it's awesome. Uh, so thank you for being here. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you for today. Thank you for every Sunday, but today we remember what you did. Jesus, we remember that you died on that cross for our sins and you rose from the dead. And because of that, we can have life in you and we thank you. Holy Spirit, we invite you to be present here with us. We know that when we gather to worship in a corporate setting like this, you are uniquely present. You're always with us. But when we get together like this, you are with us in a unique way and we thank you for that. We ask you to do what you want in our lives and our hearts and we also ask that you would enjoy our praise and our worship today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So I am getting to the age in life where uh, the midlife crisis can hit. And, and I've never really understood that, but I, I think, you know, the midlife crisis where you look back at your life and you have unfulfilled dreams, unfulfilled expectations maybe, uh, your car's not cool enough and so you need to get another one or whatever. But what is the cause of, of that kind of crisis? And I think we could say it's baggage right? Baggage in our life. And so I, I want to ask you that. What kind of baggage are you carrying? And we're all carrying baggage. You, know, you came in here carrying baggage. That's why we have, you know, this theme here, all this baggage. And sometimes our baggage is kind of small and looks kind of cool. <laughs> We've seen this before, right? But, but we start to carry some baggage. You know, somebody did something to us growing up and, and we start to carry that. You know, some other baggage is a little bit heavier, a little bit bigger, and so we load up this baggage, again, of what people have done to us, or maybe sin in our own lives, those things that we wish we hadn't done. You ever done that, where you say something, and you're like, oh, come back, come, uh, and it's too late, or you do something, and you're leaving, I, I can't believe I, and you're just broken. And as life goes on, again, we do things to other people, and we gather more baggage, you know, and we think, whoops. See? And we, we think that we can carry this baggage in our own strength, you know, and it gets more difficult. Maybe as time goes on, we have more and more baggage, more sin. Uh, again, more addictions. And that addiction can be a, a heavy weight that you're carrying. I wish I was rid of this, but it's just the way I am. I can't get rid of it. And you're carrying more and more baggage. And how, how much baggage can you really carry... And then you look, and here's your life, full of, of baggage, full of things you've done, full of things that were done to you. You were innocent, and, but you carry these memories. And it causes you stress, anxiety, worry, depression. I mean, maybe one of these bags here is just depression in your own life. But here's what Jesus said. He said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus looks at us with his baggage, 
And he says, I get it. I love you. And I want to take that. And so all this baggage, Jesus wants to take it. Jesus wants to get rid of our baggage. Good luck, choir, getting past this when you come back up. <laughs> Jesus wants to do something about our baggage. Some of the baggage we have to carry. You know, you're a husband, you have relationships. And so there's kind of a baggage in relationships, but God will help us carry those loads. Some baggage, addiction, sin, we need to just be done with. And he will help us get rid of those. But here's the truth. Put that verse up one more time, if you would. What's that verse say? Come, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. He doesn't just take it, he exchanges it. And this is important. It's not that he just forgives us. He does, because of Jesus on the cross. And he takes, but then it doesn't mean it's just a life now, all centered on me. Now I'm forgiven because of what Jesus did. Now I can live a life of self-indulgence. No, he gives us a load. A light one, he says. You read that verse. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Maybe you've ever had one of these backpacks. They have this little belt that goes around right here. It really helps you carry the load, right? Where it's, you know, and, and you could walk for miles and miles and miles with a load like this. That's what Jesus says. You're carrying all these things you don't need to carry, but that stuff you do need to carry. I want to help you carry it. But there really is an exchange. It's exchanging our loads for his load. And I want to recognize the difference. It's not, again, it's not just we're forgiven and now Jesus is added to my life and I do whatever I want. That's not the free life. That will lead you to more pain, more stress, more depression. Rather, we let go and we take on what he wants to give us joyfully. Somebody smaller than me wore that last. Turn, if you will, to the book of Luke. Because we're going to look at one person today, one person that had baggage, and we're going to see what happens when that person meets the risen Jesus. We're going to see what God does with that person. Here's why I love Scripture. Well, I love Scripture for a lot of reasons. But you would be hard-pressed to go through here and find perfect people. You know, those who haven't read the Bible might think, oh, it's just full of all these people that just walked perfectly with God, a bunch of saints. Read about the saints they were messed up. They struggled. They had doubts. I mean, Jesus with, with his disciples all the time, he's like, come on, guys. Where is your faith? You just watched me do all this stuff, and now you're struggling with this over and over. We see real people like us with real sin, with real past, with real struggles, with real addictions, and God shows up. And we're going to see that with Peter this morning. We're going to be in Luke 22. And just to catch up, last week we looked at Palm Sunday, we looked at Jesus coming into Jerusalem, and we honed in on Thursday night, Thursday night when Jesus had the Last Supper with his disciples. And in that Last Supper, he instituted what we call communion, or the Lord's Supper. And he gave them the bread, he said, this is my body broken for you. He gave them the blood, and he said, this blood is the new covenant, or this, this cup, this wine, is the new covenant in my blood. And so today, later, we're going to take communion remembering Jesus dying for our sins. That new covenant, if you missed last week, look it up on the podcast or online, but that new covenant means Jesus takes our penalty and gives us life freely. It was a one-way covenant. And so during that meal, Jesus, the, the meal began with Jesus washing their feet. I mean, just imagine that. He was going to his death the next day. He washes their feet. 
He has this meal. He, he institutes the Lord's Supper. After the meal is over, now remember, during the meal, Judas leaves. Judas leaves to betray him. Jesus knew what he was doing. After the supper, they get up, they leave that room, they go to a garden called Gethsemane. In this garden, Jesus prays. This is that time, if you've heard the story of Jesus uh, uh, sweating blood, this was that time. Jesus went with his disciples. He left them uh, by a tree. That's kind of how I picture them all sitting around a couple trees. And he goes a little further. And Jesus gets on his knees. And this is that prayer, if you remember this, where he says, Father, if there's any other way for this to be done, take this cup from me. He knew he was going to his death. He knew he was going to bear the weight of the sin of the world on his shoulder. And you know what he did? He wept. He, he, he was anxious. He was worried. And he asked God if there's another way. He didn't ask God, I don't want to redeem mankind. He said, is it, what he was asking, is there another way to save everybody? Can we do that? If there's another way that we can save everybody, let's do that. And the answer was, no, this is the only way. And Jesus finishes that prayer, not my will, but yours be done. And then he leaves and he walks over and there's his disciples asleep. You know, I think he probably kicked a couple of, you know, wake up, wake up. And right then is when Judas comes walking along with soldiers with him. And he betrays Jesus with a kiss. You know, and a, and a little scuffle ensues. Peter pulls out a sword. Oh, I'm going to save the day. No. Jesus says, no. The cup, he was just asking to be taken. Then he says, but your will be done. He says, the cup that God has given me, the Father's given me, I'm going to drink it. And so Jesus is arrested, and he's taken off to his first trial. And that's where we're going to pick this up, because when this happened, the disciples scattered. Only two followed. Look at Luke 22, starting in verse 54. Then they seized him, and they led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Now let me set the scene real quick, okay? They arrest Jesus. They first take him to the high priest, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. Now, remember, the Romans were the ones in real control, political control, but everybody in Jerusalem, Judea, these were Jews, and so they were given a lot of latitude by the Romans to, to govern themselves, uh, and so a lot of these things would take to, to their Jewish courts to deal with. Well, first, it goes to the Jewish court led by the high priest in his house. So he, he would have had a nice house, a spacious house. There's a courtyard. There's a gate you go through to get into the courtyard. And then, you know, it doesn't give us the details, but there's probably just like another patio, a large patio area where the priest, the high priest, and other officials are all gathered. That's where they take Jesus. Peter comes after with one other disciple, probably John, and they get to the gate, and because John knew some people, he had some connections, they let them in. And so Peter comes in, and they sit down around a fire. It's night, it's dark, it's cold. So they're warming themselves by a fire. I don't know how many people are there, maybe a couple dozen, but they're in eyesight of Jesus. Again, there's a crowd here. There's a crowd there. Jesus is probably, you know, people are moving around. And so every now and then you're looking over, you can see Jesus appear mostly silent as they're, they're talking to him. They're accusing him, this false trial. That's the scene where Peter is now by that fire, cl close to Jesus in eyesight. Verse 56. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light, and looking closely at him said, this man was also with him. But he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. 
And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man was also with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Peter, one of Jesus' best friends, closest three is there, sitting by the fire warming. And he denies Jesus three times. In the Gospel of Mark, Mark tells this story. And he confirms these things, but then adds some things. You know, as the gospel writers write, they all agree, but some include some things and others leave them out for their purpose of writing. Mark includes that, that Peter denies Jesus with curse words. You know, this, this last guy is like, no, you were, because most of the disciples are Galileans. You have a special accent. We write, you're one of them. And he starts cussing to make his point. Bleep, bleep, bleep. I am not. I'm, this is Jesus right here. And here's Peter cussing up that he doesn't know him, and right then Jesus looks at him. What would that gaze have been like? My goodness. Peter was cut to the heart. Peter leaves. He goes out the gate. He goes and finds a spot, and he weeps bitterly. He had denied Jesus three times. Three times. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been broken because of your sin? Have you ever done that thing again? again and again, and you go, I'm not going to do this again, and then you do it again, and you're broken? You ever hurt that person, or you remember what you did to that person? Or you remember what those people did to you, and that stirs up in you? Again, this baggage that we carry around. Let me tell you something. If you're one of those that you came in here, and you're like, oh, I'm hesitant to come to church because it's a whole bunch of good people, and I won't fit in, we're not. <laughs> We're all in the same boat, broken by sin, filled with baggage, but then we all have the same ability to come to Jesus, not because of ourselves, but because of what he has done. Here's something that always sticks out to me in this. Jesus is going to his death, and he knows it. But in that moment, he's thinking about Peter while Peter denies him. What do you think that look was? Do you think it was a scowl? Do you think it was a glare? I don't think so. I think it was a look that probably conveyed love, probably conveyed something. I mean, we don't know. Again, this is one of those scenes. I hope when we get to heaven, there's the, the rewind room and we get to kind of watch this scene. But I think Jesus had a special look as he looked at Peter and it broke him. Now, Jesus continues with his trial. Peter's now gone. He's off somewhere weeping. And the trial continues False witnesses come up, and it's finished when they say, it is told, you say that you're the son of God. Are you the son of God? Jesus says, I am. Jesus said very little, but he confirmed, I am the son of God. By saying that, he is admitting equality with God. He is admitting deity. For them, that was blasphemy. They said, we, we have no other need for witnesses. They were all false witnesses anyway. We have no other need for witnesses. Be, let's be done. They, couldn't, they didn't have, under the Roman rule, they didn't have the ability or the right to kill him, but they wanted to kill him. They needed to kill him, so they took him to Pilate, the Roman governor, not a Jew, a Roman governor, and they said, we got to kill this guy. He said, are you sure? I think he's innocent. I, I don't think this is right, but he wanted to keep the peace. Again, he's a Roman governor. The, the Caesar, the people in Rome, they're the ones that set him up there. If there's a riot in Jerusalem, and there had been before, it's his job on the line. It's his life on the line. So he's like, fine, if... Let this guy die, 
and I keep the peace and I keep my position fine, we'll let him die. And so Jesus, he goes to the, the other trial. He goes to this final trial. Pilate washes his hands. If you did the, the walkthrough on Friday night, there was a part where you wash your hands. Pilate did that in front of everybody. He washed his hands. I'm, I'm innocent of this man's blood, but yet take him. They took Jesus. They beat him 39 times. 40 times was a death sentence. So they beat him 39 times. What they beat him with was, was a whip. And it had these cords that came out. And on the end was either pottery or sharpened bone. And every time it hit, it stuck. And then when they yanked it, it ripped. It talks about him not being recognizable as a man when they were done. They beat him. They took a crown of thorns. Oh, he says he's the son of God. He's a king, the king of the Jews. And so they make this crown. They push it on his head. They don't just set it there. They push it down. So the blood is dripping down. They beat him. Peter's not there. Peter's not watching. Where's Peter? Off weeping, I don't know. They beat him. They take the cross. They give it to Jesus. They say, carry the instrument of your own death. Take it to the mountain. Jesus carries his cross. He walks through the town. There's a crowd following. The streets are lined with people. He's, he gets to the point he collapses. He can't carry it. It's so heavy. Peter's not there. Somebody else, a man named Simon, is grabbed to help carry that cross. Jesus takes that cross all the way up to the mountain. With some help from Simon, they get there. They nail him to it, probably on the ground. They nail him to this cross, and then they lift it up, and they drop it in. Peter's not watching. As Jesus is on the cross... We can't even imagine what's happening, the physical pain. But then spiritually, he took the sins of the world on himself. We don't know what that's like. But as he hung there, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? His perfect relationship with the Father was broken so that he could take our sin. And as he hung there, the way you die on a cross is by suffocation. You hang like this. And so to breathe, they have to push up on the nail through their feet and pull up on the nail in their hands, and they pull up and they take a breath, and they go back down. Jesus is there suffering, and finally he says, it is finished. And he breathes his last, and he gives up his spirit. Mary, his mother, is there. John is there. Other women are there at his feet. Peter's not there. Jesus dies. They take him off the cross. They bring him down, because the next day is the Sabbath, they can't have these Jews, they can't have these people hanging on the cross on the Sabbath, so they take him down. Some rich Pharisees come, who are now followers of Jesus. They take his body, they wrap him in cloth, they put herbs and spices in him, they prepare him for burial. Peter doesn't help. They carry him to a tomb. They set him in there and roll the stone in front. Peter is still nowhere to be seen. A day passes. Saturday, Jesus is in the tomb. Everybody, all of Jesus' followers now, what's happening? We thought he was the Messiah. They're depressed. They're worried. What's happening? The next day, Sunday, by the way, this is why we meet on Sundays. Because Jesus rose from the dead on a Sunday. Early Sunday morning, early Sunday morning, the women went. And they were going to go and they were going to anoint Jesus' body some more. This is our Lord. They're going to go anoint. And as they walked, they were asking, how are we going to roll away the stone? It's going to be really heavy. We'll find somebody. I don't know. But they get there. The stone's rolled away. Jesus is risen. 
They meet the risen Lord right there. Jesus, they think he's a gardener. Jesus talks to them. They run back. They tell the disciples. Peter and John run to the tomb. Peter goes in and he sees Jesus is risen. Everything changed in history that day. Everything changed. Jesus rose from the dead. And everything changes when you meet the risen Jesus. Now for 40 days, Jesus in his risen body appeared to people. He appeared to his brothers. He had half-brothers, sons of Mary. He appeared to 400 at one time. And this was great evidence later because later as the writers would write here the, the, the New Testament, they would write in there, all these things we write, you can check. There were 400 people at once that saw Jesus risen from the dead. That's great proof. So this was not debated, by the way, in the early church. It was not debated whether Jesus rose from the dead or not. Even among the non-believers, it wasn't debated. The body was gone. So many saw him risen. Jesus rose from the dead. Think about Peter. What's Peter thinking? Jesus appeared twice to the disciples. Both times, I think Peter was there. You think Peter would avoid Jesus' gaze? Peter was waiting. Jesus, what are you going to do with me? You saw what I did. Our eyes made contact. You know what I did. You know my past. You know everything about me. What's he going to do with me? Is he done with me? Have I failed too much? Am I no longer one of his disciples? Am I no longer one of his... What's Jesus going to do with me? I betrayed him in a way nobody else did. Well, let's look forward at John 21. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John is the last gospel. And this book is written by the apostle John. And in John 21, we see Peter have his encounter with Jesus. John 21, starting in verse 1 through 8. And again, picture Peter. Peter had been a fisherman. That was his profession, along with some of the other disciples. He doesn't know what to do with himself. The, the, he looks really awkward. Jesus is risen. He doesn't know what to do. John 21, verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land but about a hundred yards off. I mean, look, look at that scene. They go fishing. They catch nothing all night. Dawn is breaking. It's the morning. Some guy is walking on the shore and he's like, hey, you caught anything? No, thanks for bringing it up. Cast the net on the right side. They cast the net over there, and it's so full 
so full they can't bring it in. This happened before. This happened about three years before when Jesus made his initial call to Peter and some others. He says, follow me. Drop your nets and follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And as they're working, Peter, again, what's up with Peter? He's just focused on the net. And it's John next to him. John's like, it's the Lord. And Peter hadn't recognized that yet. But John, again, doing this, it's the Lord. Peter, dawn comes on, you know, the light comes on in his head, grabs his, his shirt, throws it on, jumps in the water, 100 yards, jumps in the water and swims 100 yards. I mean, the other guy's in the boat like, what's up? <laughs> you know, we've got all this fish help. He's mixed, Jesus, he is drawn to Jesus. Do you feel that? Even in the midst of your sin, your brokenness, your baggage, you hear about Jesus, the son of God who loves us, who died for us and rose from the dead. You just can't help but feel this draw toward him. He woos us. He is not this God up in heaven just wanting to judge. He's not like a kid with a magnifying glass wanting to burn the ants. A lot of times we get this picture of God. No, he's a God of love. And even in the midst of our darkest sin, if we look at Jesus, we're drawn to him. Peter was drawn to him. Peter jumps in. He swims to the shore. The rest of the disciples come after. Look at verse 15. Well, verse 9 through 14. They get to the shore Jesus says, hey, let's have breakfast, bring some of the fish. He makes breakfast for them. They have some bread. They have some fish. And verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted but when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry, your, carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show the kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying these things, he said to him, follow me. Everything changes when you meet the risen Jesus. This moment that Peter had probably been worried about had come. Jesus now turns after the meal and he looks at Peter again. The last time he had that gaze was probably when he betrayed him. And now he gets Jesus' gaze again. He says, Peter, do you love me more than these? And there's debate. What does he mean by more than these? More than these fish, because that was your profession. More than, we don't know exactly. But the question, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Ask him again. Do, are you sure you love me? Yes, I love you. A third time, do you love me? He says, Lord, you know everything. That's one of those things, we might just skip through that, but he says, Lord, you know everything. Jesus knows everything. Peter says, you know my past, you know my sin, you know my betrayal, you know the thing that nobody else knows, and you also know that I love you, and I love you. Each time Jesus says, do you love me? He, he says, I love you, and then he gives them a call, tend my sheep. Peter's job was going to be to be a shepherd, to be a pastor, to, to be a leader of God's people to help feed them God's word, to help lead them his direction. So Jesus gave him three chances to reaffirm his love and three chances he reaffirmed his call 
to serve him. Jesus is reinstating Peter right here. Jesus is forgiving him. Jesus is reconciling their relationship. Because Jesus died on the cross, this was possible. Because Jesus rose from the dead as a receipt, basically. Jesus died to cover our sins. God said, it's done, it's finished, I accept your sacrifice. The receipt that says paid in full is Jesus' resurrection. Rose from the dead, done. Because of that, Jesus can forgive Peter. Jesus can restore Peter, bring him back into a relationship with him, and give him a mission, give him a job. Listen, those who have failed and sinned much appreciate God's grace, right? I mean, it's Peter. He knows he's messed up, and he's, ugh. How refreshing to receive God's grace. Jesus had this thing about saving the filthy, the dirty, the messed up. We're going through the book of Acts. The Apostle Paul, we'll be looking at him again next week. The Apostle Paul, he was a murderer. The first martyr was Stephen. And I picture Stephen as, I, I don't know, a 28, 30-year-old, just one of those sweet guys that's awesome, willing to serve. And he serves. He's doing whatever God wants. The Jews kill him. And Paul is the one there going, kill him. Let me hold your coat while you stone him. He dies. Innocent man, awesome man, dies. Paul is that. This is Paul. Paul will meet the risen Lord Jesus. Everything will change for him. God will forgive him. He will accept Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. He will give his life to Jesus, and, and Paul changes, and then Paul changes the world. Look at everybody else. There's prostitutes. There's tax collectors. Jesus saves the filthy, the sinner, and he knows everything. He says, do you love me? You will serve me. And then he finishes, verse 18. He says this, and oh, oh, by the way, and he says this weird thing. When you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. Verse 19, John, who's writing this, clarifies that because it's kind of a weird, confusing statement. He says, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. So Jesus tells Peter, yes, I, you betrayed me. You had a chance there by the fire to stand for me, and you might have been killed with me if you did. And you failed. But next time, you won't. Next time, Peter will be killed under the Emperor Nero, under the persecution there. Peter will be crucified. Rumor has it upside down because he wasn't willing to die the way his Lord died. Wasn't worthy. The next time, Peter will be taken where he doesn't want. He will be taken to his death and he will go. The next time, Peter will not deny his Lord. That sounds dark. That was an encouragement to Peter. I won't fail next time. And why? Because when we're saved, when we pick up his load, we're united with him. We're going with his direction for his kingdom, and he goes with us. Peter will now go with the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter will now go. God will go with him. When I'm talking about this life, we set down our baggage, we pick up more. We're not going alone. Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is a tight relationship where we're walking with God, his direction for his glory. Peter will do the same. God will go with him, but he will go all the way to his death. Again, when someone meets the risen Jesus, everything changes. What's the invitation in Matthew? Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Are you willing to set down your baggage and take on his load? It doesn't mean life will be perfect. It doesn't mean it will be easy, but it does mean he'll go with you. He'll help you get rid of those addictions. He'll help you restore those relationships. And he'll lead you his direction, meaning you're going to start doing things you didn't expect you'd do. You're going to start giving of your time, your talents, and your treasure that you wouldn't have expected because he becomes Lord of your life. There was another spot where Jesus was teaching. He says, why do you guys worry so much? You worry about where you're going to live. You worry about where you're going to eat. You worry about where you're going to wear. And he says, follow me, and I'll give you everything you need. Follow me. He says, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things you need will be given to you. How does he finish his call to Peter? Peter, I forgive you. Now follow me. Follow me. And when we follow him and we fall in love with him, guess what? We can go to our death for him, and it's where we want to be. He changes our heart. He doesn't just give us what, he want, what we want. He changes our wants, and then he gives us those. Salvation is free because of Jesus' death on the cross. But then following him will cost. But yet it's a payment we are so willing to pay. It is so worth it to follow Jesus as Lord. We're going to move now to some more worship. We're going to sing some more. And as we do, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. We're going to remember on this Easter Sunday, Jesus' death and his resurrection. We have four stations today. One here, one here, and two in the back. Go back there and take the Lord's Supper. And as you take it, now this is for believers. This is if you have surrendered to Jesus as Lord, you believe he died on the cross, you believe he rose from the dead, and you say, I am willing to surrender. I am willing to follow. That's Jesus' call, to follow. And you're willing to follow. Go, enjoy the Lord's Supper. Examine your heart. Take of the bread. It's, it's COVID style, so it's all self-packaged. Good luck trying to get the bread out. But it's okay. Worship and pray while you do it. But you, you take the bread, remembering his body broken. You drink the cup, remembering his blood spilled for you. And you thank him while you do it. You thank him. Now, there's one other aspect we're going to put in here. In your seat pocket in front of you, there's a clipboard. Or if you're in the back, it's, it's under your seat. Pull out that clipboard. There's just a blank piece of paper. What baggage are you carrying that you need help with? What, what is that sin? What is that addiction? What is that memory? That thing you did? That thing somebody did to you? What is it you're ready to be done with? Write it down. Write it down on there. As the choir starts to sing again, maybe you just sit and pray. You grab that and you write it down. Nobody's watching. Nobody's looking. Nobody's you know, keeping track of what's going on in your life. Write that down, and as you go to take communion, we've got little, little pieces of luggage right by each communion. Just drop it and give it to God. Give it to him saying, God, I, I want to let down this load, and I want you to carry this load. And just give it to him. It's just symbolic. Here at Common Ground, we like to worship through activity. It's going to be crowded. It's okay. It's okay. Worship is not a spectator sport. The people up here aren't the worshipers, and everybody else is watching. We are the worshipers. The people up here help us, they facilitate the worship. But when we get up and we're rubbing shoulders, we're worshiping together. So there's something significant about that. Is it uncomfortable? Yeah. Is it crowded? Yeah. Are some people going to trip? Probably. But it's, it's okay. You know, if you want to be the first one, get up and go. If you want to wait till the crowd thins out, there's a few more songs you can wait. But let's worship. 
Now, if you're here and you have not surrendered to Jesus as Lord, you're like, hey, that all sounds good, but I haven't done that yet. I'm going to be right over here by the baptismal. And yeah, it's going to be crowded, but come up there and talk to me. I will help you. I will speak to you. I will pray with you and talk about what it means to follow Jesus as Lord. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for dying for us. Jesus, you paid the price so that we could have life. It does not make sense. It is not logical. It is not fair. But God, you died. Jesus, you gave your life for us and we thank you. And I pray right now that you would reveal in our hearts what's the baggage, a sin, an addiction, a memory, what is the thing that we are carrying that you want to help us carry? God, I pray that we would write that down and we would give it to you. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would be faithful to, to help carry that load over the next days and weeks and months that those of us that do this would experience you helping with that load, but not just taking our load, but exchanging the load, that we would feel the draw to serve you. That's always your call to Peter. Now tend my sheep. You had service for him to do. It's the same with us. We get this freedom by exchanging, and I pray that we would do that. We would exchange our lives for yours because you exchanged your life for ours. Holy Spirit, I ask if there's anybody in this room who has not surrendered to you yet, but today is the day of salvation, that they would come talk to me, that they would have the boldness and the courage to say, I need Jesus. I need help. I'm ready to say yes, that today would be the day of salvation. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.